everyone. Thank you very much for tuning in to this very short and selective episode of Bond by Numbers. We hope that you're doing really well, in spite of the world as it is. By now, the news of Sir Sean Connery's passing has reverberated around the world and has echoed back a great number of tributes, reflections, and very heartfelt, sincere condolences. Unable to meet for a conversation, Josh and I nevertheless wanted to share our thoughts and maybe a few reflections of Sean Connery as, I suppose, a, a farewell and a bond by numbers response to, to the occasion. There is no doubt that, um, that the passing of Sir Sean Connery will be felt far and wide, but it's a time for celebration as much as it is sorrow and an opportunity for us to reflect on the great contributions not just to the James Bond world, but to the entertainment world. I can't tell you what Sean Connery was really like as a man, as a husband, as a friend, a father. I, I don't know that, and it's not important. His personal life is far removed from his professional life, and certainly from his role, his costume as James Bond. But it is that costume that has come to influence so many of us. And it is an artist's work that survives them in death and to sustain their characters. And I have no doubt that Sir Thomas Sean Connery will continue to influence generations of actors and artists and filmmakers for a long, long time to come. But to consider my relationship and first introduction to this incredible actor of humble Scottish origin brings me right back to my grandmother, the place where my James Bond fandom began. Let me explain. As a child, and long before I knew anything about James Bond, Sean Connery was introduced to my impressionable consciousness as a figure of some importance. It was a black and white framed photograph, and it hung somewhat obtusely over the entrance to my grandmother's bedroom. Now, maybe it was a joke gift, sent or gifted by a friend years before, one who knew of her fascination in Bond and Connery way back before she was a granny, back before she was old. Maybe so, but we never dared to ask. We were kids. It all seemed a little taboo at the time. I'm sure my mother had her opinions, but I didn't care to inquire. When visiting my grandmother, she would chuckle or smile at the mention of it, but conversation, like our attention spans, always moved on or was redirected. Now, if you've been a listener with us on Bond by Numbers since the beginning, you'll know that Josh and I are cousins, and that our grandmother, who just celebrated her 95th birthday, plays a part in nearly all of our film reviews from season one. Without her, we almost certainly wouldn't have developed as strong a love and fascination for the series as we did. And although we, each of us, moved away and apart, Bond kept us together. In a similar way, I suppose, without Sir Sean Connery, there's a good chance that the James Bond world that we know and understand and love wouldn't be what it is. Well, Josh tells of his introduction to Bond via Granio with a VHS postal gift of the man with the golden gun, while I remember watching For Your Eyes Only in her living room, garlanded with cozy blankets and indulging in far too buttery popcorn. I couldn't have been more than seven or eight at the time. Well, she chose Roger Moore for us both, the most mild of Bond gateway drugs and the easiest for adults to enjoy with their children. But when evening crawled in and the kiddies went home, 
I now know that Granio traded in the light and friendly government servant for a shadier, sexier agent, one with electric magnetism and enough fierce swagger to crush a legion of hearts. Was she trying to protect us from the violence and the hardness of Connery by not showing us his films first? Or was she keeping a special secret for herself? Who knows? The legend of the Sean Connery photograph, getting back to point, at our grandmother's domicile didn't then and doesn't now need to be unpacked, spread out, or ironed straight in any historical accuracy for me. In some special way, that vestige of her early Bond fandom is inextricably linked to the feelings which preside over my involvement with the franchise. Allure, nostalgia, connectivity, family. Rationally, I know the photograph well. Connery posed with a telephone in hand and in a photo which today you could easily recognize as a promotional still from his early years as Bond. But I don't see how the experience of discovering at which flea market or during which works party the photo was acquired, how that would help infuse my love for Bond with any new joy or flavor. So few things are precious and left mysterious in today's world. Like the fragility of Santa Claus, I choose to hang on to the smoky mystery of this Connery photo. I guess you could say it's my family's girl with the pearl earring. While I tell this story, to shine light less on my grandmother's crush and more on the influence and the fascination of Sir Sean Connery as the flagpole figure within the James Bond big top. Outside of the character's creator, Ian Fleming, and the producers, Broccoli and Saltzman, who lobbied and loved so tenaciously to ensure the franchise could exist, no other passing will ever be as great or far-reaching to the James Bond world as this of Sean Connery. The phrase, made it your own, is beyond cliché today. Wore out and repolished and wore out again by the imitation, cover-basing, duplicating mechanics of our consumer society that chooses variations on a theme over original theme. But Sean Connery's portrayal of James Bond is probably the finest celluloid example of literary character turned to walking life that we have seen and enjoyed and embraced. Of course, the naysayers will strike fury against such claims, issuing countless other worthy adaptations and incarnations of literary antecedents. But no other single actor has breathed life into a character which survives and flourishes across six decades of popular entertainment, refusing to die. It's not hard to believe or imagine other actors in the James Bond role for 1962's Dr. No. I can do it, and you can do it. And of course, it's very possible to entertain the almost and what-if timelines of other actors. But to imagine, to really imagine, that any other actor other than Sir Sean Connery could grow cooler with nearly each installment to help rocket this franchise and sustain its propulsion into a superstardom that would never rest is nearly impossible. Nobody makes it on their own, so sure, you say what you want about Terence Young and Dana Broccoli's early influences, we have here on the show, as well as the leading ladies and the capable co-stars. But it was Connery, and always Connery, who sold us on the idea of Bond in person and in front of the cameras before anyone else. Without him, we're nowhere. Were it a lesser actor in those shoes, one who lacked a unique and stylized blend of his great physicality, conviction, and sex appeal, there's a good chance that the series would have petered out after a sequel or two. He just had something that soared beyond the script of the Ian Fleming character. And I love those books, and will champion most of them. 
but the literary bond is stiff in comparison to Connery. Too much the blunt instrument of Her Majesty's Secret Service, and not enough the dynamic, mysterious animal that walks, talks, and fights cooler than the rest. No, it was always Connery. And as things started to take off for Bond, he tried more and more to remain the eye of the phenomenon storm. Sir Roger Moore and his many interpretations of James Bond remain my favorites, but there is no doubt whatsoever about whose portrayal was most important, most dynamic, or most lasting. Far more than just being the first, Sir Thomas Sean Connery and his James Bond performances engendered, inspired, and enabled almost everything that followed. Sean Connery had passed away, it seemed unreal to me, as if all of a sudden the world stopped making sense. In any other year, I would have had a profound reaction to this, but I took it in as another calamity of the Annus Herabilis, that is, 2020. That was my reaction. I had awoken to the news, but life as it does went on. But even still in that little moment that I was given to absorb this information, a frisson reverberated through me that greatly contributed to the stupor I had found myself these past few days. Sean Connery is dead. Whew. I have mentioned more than once on the show that Roger Moore was my first James Bond, ever since my maternal grandmother gifted me with a copy of The Man with the Golden Gun all those years ago. But I knew at the time of my pre-adolescence who Sean Connery was. He was Indiana Jones's dad, of course. Over the next few years, Granio, as we all know her, would bestow me with several other James Bond films, mostly all Roger Moore and Timothy Dalton, and a random On Her Majesty's Secret Service in there as well. I did at one point see one or two Sean Connery titles, From Russia of Love and You Only Live Twice, those were video rentals. From Russia of Love was the Bond movie on the train, and You Only Live Twice was that one in Japan. I found them entertaining, but for some reason, I found them lacking. I received Dr. No at one point from my grandmother, my only Connery title to date at that time. A couple of years swept past, GoldenEye was released, but I had become immersed in other things such as The X-Files, comic books, Star Wars. And by the time I entered high school, Bond was merely the stepping stones for mature entertainment. Quote-unquote mature, but you know what I mean. It wasn't until I, the Newfie expatriate, returned to the island of my birth after leaving it eight years previous for Ontario, the mainland, did I rekindle two lost childhood dynamics, my reunion with my cousin Scott and Bond. It was the summer of 1997, and my Aunt Barbara was getting married. The locale, Cornerbrook in western Newfoundland. I had briefly seen Scott and his family once or twice when they could visit Ontario, Following our move, but a significant sea change occurred. Scott is 18 months older than me, and when I saw him again after all this time, he seemed a different person than I remembered. He was into heavy metal music. He had his own band. I had arrived with my comic books and Game Boy. There was a tension I won't deny 
especially since we had to share the same bedroom together during my visit. But then I saw on his shelf his movie collection, and not just any collection, but his James Bond collection. He had them all, even the Connery titles. But he was a big Roger Moore fan. He assured me of that. He even had a website, The More the Merrier. I was introduced to Black Sabbath, as well as jam sessions from his group Korloff. Karloff is in Boris, I said. Nope, it's Karloff, he replied. Okay. A passion and a friendship rose from the ashes like a phoenix. This was the bridge I needed to reestablish my relationship with my cousin and friend. Knowledge was shared and great times were had and still are. When I returned to Ontario, I immediately went to work completing my Bond collection. The first Bond film I purchased was From Russia with Love. This was always the one on the train. Yet, I revisited it. I watched it twice in a single sitting. The story was great. The plot's perfectly Byzantine for my maturing mind and imagination. The action, the music, the nostalgia of my childhood years. Gone was the fog of the Dalton movies with their Cold War plots. Gone the comic book camp and innuendo of the Moore era. Here was something to stimulate me intellectually and entertain me simultaneously. I had always heard from various sources, see people in my life, that Sean Connery was the best Bond. And by golly, did I see it then. The confidence, the menace, the touch of sadistic mirth, a charming, handsome hero who was just utterly and impossibly cool. Now I understood how he could become Indiana Jones's, nay, Han Solo's dad. Now I understand why he was Granio's favorite, and now I understand the framed portrait of him in her bedroom. Well, maybe not to that extent. The stakes were political. There was an element of danger, not just fun. I revisited Dr. No afterwards, as it was the only Connery film in my collection thus far. That iconic scene with Miss Trench, Sylvia Trench, that introduction that provoked Connery's legendary immortal response, Bond, James Bond. From there we get car chases, three pillows under the sheets, a game of solitaire, and Professor Dent already having his six, an encounter with Venus, a dragon, a serial chill, provocation of a megalomaniac at dinner, an escape, and a final showdown. And even all that pales in comparison to what was to follow. That malicious smirk preceded by an arrogant utterance of, Russian clocks are always correct, or his raw charisma slowly easing his character out of confinement in Goldfinger. Powerless for most of the picture, he doesn't ever drop his guard to reveal it to the big bad. I could go on and on about Bond, about Connery, how a man of his fortitude made me believe he was a stubborn but dotty history professor in The Last Crusade, or The Last Good Cop in Capone, Chicago in The Untouchables, or telling Nicolas Cage that losers always whine about their best. Quite a career, such a presence. Thomas Sean Connery, born 90 years ago in Edinburgh, Scotland who served in the Navy post-war, who flirted with bodybuilding and football only to become an actor. But he was a working-class Scotsman who dabbled in rough areas. He learned to fend for himself. Even the gangs of Edinburgh refused to play with him once he cracked some heads. Chivalrous even, emasculating that possessive, abusive gangster boyfriends of co-stars, he was a diamond in the rough. So much so that when Dana Broccoli picked him out amidst a Disney film, it took Terence Young to whip this coarse Scotsman into a dashing super-spy. He slept in his Seville Row suit. He took elocution lessons. Young showed him how to walk and talk, and the rest is history. Actor, producer, screenwriter, political activist, and sometime controversial figure, he, like all human beings, was a walking contradiction. He was real. James Bond has been a big part in the past three decades of my life, and the one figure that reinforced my love for the franchise is gone. 
I am not his family or his friends, so I do not mourn for the man, but I do remember him. I will continue to remember him as the individual who shaped an aspect of my life since the summer of 97, and I look back in awe just how impactful he was to our popular culture. Roger Moore played James Bond, but for many of us, myself included, indubitably included, he was Bond.